All right, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, please. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 33, and the message entitled, God's Role for Men, Part 2. A couple named Harry and Harriet were married, and um, uh, he put her through much stress, difficulties here. And um, she died, and so when she got to heaven's gates, Peter saw her and said to her, All right, all you have to do is spell a word. Love. She responded, Wow, okay. L-O-V-E. He goes, Good. Come on in. And so then Peter um, asked her to watch the gate for a minute. He had to go do something. And he says, If anybody comes to the gate, just tell them, you know, spell the word love and let them in. And so Harry... Her husband shows up and sees Harriet and tells her, oh, you know, man, I just, I'm so sorry. I recognize how wrong I was and all the stuff I put you through. And I just died of a broken heart. She goes, ah, don't worry about it. All you have to do is spell one word. He says, what's that? He says, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Um, Now, that's not exactly being loving and one in marriage, according to the Bible. Now, we may do things like that down here, but up there we won't. We won't even be married. But listen to me. It's going to be a lot better than marriage. You like marriage down here? It's going to be a lot better there in a way that we can't even understand. We're going to know each other better than we've ever known each other. It's an amazing thing that God has in store for us. Paul has commanded the man to love his wife in verse 25 to 30, which is to be sacrificial as Christ for the church. Sanctifying as Christ for the church and satisfying as Christ for the church. Now the man is commanded to be one with his wife in verse 31 to 33. The potential is in Christ, notice that, and not in self. It's not in a man's personal relationship to himself, but to Christ. That carries over to his wife as the reflection of his love for Christ. It is impossible for a man to say he loves Christ and not love his wife. It is not only inconsistent, but hypocritical. The vertical axis of my relationship with God reflects my relationship with my wife. When I'm not right with my wife, when I start getting off the wall, when I stop doing whatever I'm doing, it's the first key to me that I'm not right with God. I've got to get right. There is no other relationship that makes you one like marriage. For marriage reveals reality, being designed and ordained by God. When we were dating, um, and when we are dating, we're not one. Though we may have many things in common and in likeness. When we date, we're not living in reality, but we see each other at our best. She's always looking her best. You don't see her in the preparation stages. And so um, everything looks good. And he's always happy. He's fun to be around. But you don't see him at his worst. Marriage, on the other hand, is reality. You get to see each other at your best, at, at your worst. So Paul the Apostle here commanded the man to be one with his wife from three 
points of reference. Let me read 31 through 33. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so the command to the man to be one with his wife from three points of reference. First, the plan of God for man in the institution of marriage. Verse 31, that's the first point of reference. Secondly, the parallel teaching of oneness in marriage comes in verse 32. And thirdly, the principle of mutual submission in marriage is the third one in verse 33. Let's begin with the plan of God for man in the institution of marriage. Look at 31. The Apostle Paul declared marriage is uh, attributed to God, not man. Let's be clear about this. Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24. As you read the text, you can pick it up. God said it was not good for man to be alone and that he would make a help me for him. One to complete. One to complement him. No, um, no man is complete in himself unless he has the gift of celibacy or the woman. One to be his counterpart here. One to be his companion through life. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, as you know, and he slept. And God then took of his side. This rib, but literally it's from his curved side. Flesh, bone, and blood. And Adam then had his flesh closed up by God. And God made the woman from the part of man closest to his heart. And that's where she's to be. God brought Eve to Adam, as you know, and Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam said she should be called woman or she was taken from man. He saw an extension of himself and a completion in himself because she came from him. This is the record of Genesis that has never changed. Marriage is God ordained for companionship, complementing value, and cohabitating, and community. Concentric circles that go out, touches every part of society. Now notice the Apostle Paul declared marriage involves leaving his father and mother implying a severing of authority held by parents over the son or daughter, establishing a new home unit. Uh, the word to leave um, means to leave behind, to depart from. While being single, one is under the authority of one's parents, as you know, being responsible and accountable to them. If your parents tell you that you have to do your chores and you're living at home, then you're to do them. They're authority over you. You're living there. They're feeding you. You're sleeping in their bed, showering in their water, eating their food. It's the least you can do. It's obey. Simple. If they restrict you due to some disobedience, you are to be subject to their discipline. Very clear. They're your parents. They're looking out for the best for you. There's always exceptions, but we're looking at the common sense rule here. It's understood. But once you're married, this authority is broken. 
you want to go on vacations with your wife or with friends, you don't call your mom and dad. You may want to inform them. Okay? If you stay out all night without calling, your parents shouldn't be confronting you. You've severed that authority in that home. So once you're married, none of this is valid. Now, it doesn't mean you abandon them, and we'll look at this as we move on, and especially when we get to in-laws, alias, outlaws. But um, they have no authority or control over your life. Doesn't mean that you hate them. Doesn't mean that you never call them. It means that the relationship has changed. The meaning, therefore, has to do with the severing of several things and establishing new ones. First, the authority held by parents over the son or daughter. And we'll touch some examples we'll go about because this is a lot of problems with in-laws, alias, outlaws when it comes like that. The dependency on parents for stability by the son and daughter as part of the immediate family that is broken. And when it doesn't, that brings problems to the marriage. The dependency on a new stability. The woman looks to her husband, not her father. The husband looks to his wife, not his mother. Doesn't mean you can't ask them to advise you on something if you want. But... When we get into that, you don't let them in your circle without permission. That causes a lot of problems, but we'll get to that. Now, what the command does not mean is equally important. The command does not mean the individual's relationship of parents ceases. You'll always be a son or a daughter to them. The command does not mean um, a neglect, as I said, of family responsibility. If some... Um, need arises because you love them and they're your parents, you're there. The command does not mean they are disrespected or dishonored as parents. No. You honor your father and mother. Especially if you're a Christian. Even though they may not be Christians and maybe they weren't the best parents, then you as a Christian hold the greater responsibility. You pray for them and you honor them. That doesn't mean that you obey what's unscriptural. That doesn't mean you let them rule you, but it means that you honor them as your parents. Simple. The command does not mean to um, abandon your parents. And sometimes um, men get a little weird, controlling, and women get a little weird, and jealousy. It's on both sides. Now, the promise of long life to a child is that they honor their parents. Ephesians will get into that, chapter 6, verse 2 through 3, quoting the law, the Ten Commandments. The command was given when um, Adam and Eve had no father and mother. Do you realize this? Leave father and mother? Where was Adam and Eve's mom and dad? There were none. But God knew about the human race. He created them to begin the human race, okay? 
So thereafter, there's going to be moms and dads. Adam and Eve were the first parents. Declaring marriage to be the standard for man. Declaring marriage to be during the existence of man. Jesus affirms this leaving. Speaking about divorce in Matthew 19.5. We're not to do that as Christians. There's only one, and we'll get into it other times, that's adultery. Not a command, but a release if you choose to take it. If your mate repents and you forgive them, then it's like it never happened. So you have to think before you want to reconcile it. Without any pressure, without any condemnation, if your mate commits adultery, you are set free. But you don't have to. It's always best to reconcile if it's possible. But each individual has to make that decision. Now, the Apostle Paul declared marriage involves cleaving to his wife. Leaving is one aspect. Now, cleaving. The word um, join means to glue upon or to glue, to stick to. Uh, of the four times it appears in the New Testament, three refer to the Genesis passage. The word indicates the joining of two pieces of wood and glue them together. Uh, and any attempt to separate them would result in a splittering and a joining and a slivering of the two. There's no clean break. If you've ever, I don't know if they do wood shop anymore, probably not. Um, but you laminate things, you glue them together, and you try to prime them apart. You can get them apart, but they're going to be, you know, all messed up, scarred up. When you're married, it's different than being boyfriend and girlfriend, even if you get sexually involved, okay? When you're, when you're married, there's no clean break. It is splintering. It's, when you enter marriage, it's totally different than any other relationship because God has instituted that. For a man and a woman. What God has joined together. Let no one put asunder. Matthew 19. 6. And that's in the context of marriage. Apart from adultery. Now there is never a clean break. As I said in divorce. There are splinterings. From one to the other. Regardless of what the psychologists and sociologists say. It marks you for life. Now, God's grace is sufficient when the innocent party is there, okay? And God will honor it. As you trust the Lord, God will be sufficient. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you. Everything affects us. We're human. Our children are given to us on the loan by God. They will leave one day, but not our mates. They're there till they die for all of life. Look to your husband and wife next to you. One of, they, one of you is going to bury the other. Someone's going to go first. Unless take a plane ride with a bad engine or something. Or a car accident. You go together. That'd be great. But um, the implication being several. The leaving of parents is replaced by the gluing to wife and husband. The gluing to a wife or husband is the closest and the most binding of all relationships one will 
ever experience. It surpasses the father-daughter or son relationship. It surpasses the mother-daughter or son relationship. It will surpass any boyfriend or girlfriend relationship. The gluing clearly indicates binding till death for community influence. You are not the most important object for your marriage. It's society. For you to demonstrate society what marriage is really all about. Wow. A wife is brought to the man by God and she is to never leave his home as a Christian. At times people become believers after marriage, having a divided home. Sometimes the husband gets saved before the wife or the wife before the husband. Sometimes one of them gets saved or the other one never gets saved. It happens. Ladies, um, make sure you know who that man is, who you're going to cleave to. Ladies, listen to your parents. They see what you do not want to see and refuse to see in that young man. I'm not telling you to obey your mom and dad who you marry. I'm telling you to pay attention and listen prayerfully to your parents. Ladies, looks and money are not what makes a man. The society pushes that. Tragically, some men one day will roll over in bed and realize they've married just a face and a body. Or a face or a body. Either way. You see, marriage is God's ordained plan for man, for community influence. Not directly to be happy. True happiness is a byproduct. If, if you think marriage was instituted by God to make you happy, and, and, and you think that you just made the wrong mistake, you're not very happy. So happiness, true happiness, not based on emotions, feelings, or what you have or what you don't have, is based on your obedience to God and knowing what marriage is about. So it's a byproduct that comes about through you agreeing with God and aligning yourself with God and obeying God. It's the product, the byproduct. It's not directly for that, it's the byproduct of it. There's only one thing worse than not being married. Being married and wishing you weren't. That's a horrible place to be. Now, it doesn't mean that your conclusion of that is that you're absolutely right in thinking that you married the wrong person and you wish you didn't because Satan is a liar and your emotions and your feelings are very selfish. So what you need to do is align yourself with the will of God and knowing that God has blessed you with this woman, blessed you with this man, and that you need to get your act together with God and get your heart right with God and align yourself to the will of God and the purposes of God. And thank God that if God hadn't brought you that person, you wouldn't have been able to accomplish all that you have alone. Wow. 
Notice the Apostle Paul declared marriage involves in becoming one flesh. One in Christ sharing everything together. The joys, sorrows, the hurts, the cares of life together. The thoughts, ideas, fears, disappointments together. The oneness that is committed even when things aren't going right. Never considering leaving wife or husband. The world teaches people to be quitters under the guise of looking out for themselves. Loving oneself first. Show me where the Bible says that. And so we've allowed, quote, quote, Christian psychologists to tell us that we're to love ourselves first, like Dobson. Absolutely, I reject it. I rebuke him. That's humanistic. That's not biblical. You start loving yourself, you're not, there's not going to be time for anybody else. That's the problem with society today, and even in the church. Too often, people marry with an ideal view that is nowhere close to reality. They see the person as the perfect one and do not take time to know them under various situations and circumstances that would reveal their character, who they really are under superficial social circumstances. So there is wisdom in waiting, getting to know one another. There are exceptions, but they're not the rule. The woman marries this knight in shining armor and quickly finds out that some of his armor is dented and not so shiny. The man marries the woman and places this unrealistic perception of her and then finds out that she's an angel, but a fallen one. We are just messed up sinners. <laughs> See, most people are looking for the right person rather than trying to be created in the image of Christ to be the right person. Looking to be the right person is Christ-like. Looking out for the right person is me-like. Wow. This leads to a shocking blow in the person's pride and ego. Leading to disappointments, despair, manifesting anger, vengeance, being unchristlike. It's unfair to place such an ideal and expect a person to live up to it, yet never considering their own lack of ideal for the other person. It's a two-way street. We're to be one sexually, sharing and enjoying each other without guilt, shame, or reservations. Physical touch is not only permitted by God, but commanded. There is no need to restrain oneself sexually towards our spouse any longer. There's no need to hide or to be afraid someone's going to walk in on you. There's no need to be watching for lights entering the driveway. 
as we did in the world. There's no need to feel guilty or ashamed, but are to enjoy one another as God always intended. The bed is undefiled, Hebrews says, as husband and wife. There's also no need to manipulate each other emotionally to get one's own way. Men are the um, guiltiest in this area regarding women and their wives. Men know women respond to what they say. So men press, often saying they love a woman to have sex and the woman gives in to sex to get love. The man is the deceiver, being dishonest. But she allows herself to be deceived. So there's guilt on both ends. Because we respond and act differently. The man initiates, the woman responds. That's the way God made us. As the rule. Doesn't mean a, woman, a wife can't initiate, but we're talking about the different way God created us. Men are moved by what they see, and women are moved by what they feel. Two different individuals. God made the woman more emotional, more compassionate, merciful, and loving. Therefore, she is the one who usually is taken advantage of paying the bigger price in life. That's why women have always been protected by their fathers and the heads of home. In American society, we throw our daughters out to the wolves and think that it's going to be okay. What a mistake. A Christ-like husband does not resort to manipulating his wife emotionally to get his way abusing her. This is not Christ-like. So we understand what we were in the world. We understand now the difference between men and women and how we respond, how we initiate. So having knowledge that we have greater responsibility. And we both know, so we're not playing games anymore. So we honor one another by obeying God. Now there's no need to think that there is a, a spiritual violation in sexual oneness and marriage. Cohabitation is included in the plan back in Genesis as we pointed out. Paul told the Corinthians that whoever joins themselves to a heart that was making themselves one body and one spirit joining Christ to the heart in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 17. Paul says fornication is the only sin against one's own body in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. One's own body not the future husband or wife. Though you should be honest and honorable, but it's a sin against your own body and against your maker. God declared regarding Adam and Eve that they were both naked in the man and his wife and they were not ashamed in Genesis 2, 25. See, sex was not the result of the curse but was ordained before the fall that brought the curse and the corruption of sex. Are you clear on that? Sex is not the curse. <laughs> it's the abuse, the neglect, and the destruction of this sinful God that we make out of sex, especially here in America. If you look down on sex, 
and do not enjoy it in marriage, something is wrong for God has blessed it. There may be different reasons for it, but you as husband and wife need to speak and take care of that. Marriage is God-ordained for sexual contentment and to conceive children. Look a lot like you, a lot like him. Even talk like you at times, stand like you. It's scary. Children bind you together. It's one thing to say our children, another one to say your children. That should never be. There was a conversation between God and Adam about Eve. <clears throat> he says, why did you um, make her so pretty? He says, so you look at her. He says, why did you make her so soft? She would touch her. But why did you make her so dumb? So she'd like you. <laughs> See, the key being one in Christ is not the man, it's not the woman, it's not money, it's not success. It's understanding God's creation of the man and the woman. The fall brought the battle of the sexes. It wasn't the roaring 20s. It wasn't the 60s. Back in Genesis. The fall messed everything up. There are many other forms of relationships, practice that profess oneness between men and women. But only marriage makes the two one. People live together in fornication, raise families without ever getting married, but it's not based on selflessness, but selfishness. It's not a commitment for life, undermining marriage and family, because a person can leave any time they want, and often do. This is nothing new. The woman of Samaria admitted to Jesus she had five previous husbands and was living with a man in John 4. We thought we were cool in the 60s. Nothing new. Paul told the Corinthians that it was good for every man to have his own wife so that there be no sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. If you get married, though, for sex alone, you're going to be in some deep trouble. <laughs> Because if you're always lusting, that doesn't go away once you get married. If that's your problem. Because now you're limited. Right? But you're supposed to be a Christian. So you've got to get your heart and mind right with God. In the 60s, people would say that it was a mere piece of paper. What's the big deal? Big deal is commitment for life. <laughs> big deal is stability. The big deal is dependency that can be counted on. Today, the greatest extreme is in women on every level. The sexual revolution of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Everything got turned around. Women make me blush today. And I grew up in the 60s. <laughs> Ephesians 7 or 5 
17 through 19 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk in the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So today, uh, people, men and women, give themselves to such corruption and perversion of every sort. Threesomes, this and that, and men and men, women and women, and, and, and I'm sure bestiality is already being practiced and it's going to hit the public pretty soon, the way we're going. Read the Old Testament. And the law says so you should not lay down with an animal. God didn't suggest that so that you do it. He suggested because they were doing it. The severing of parental authorities must be complete at marriage where problems will come into the marriage, especially in oneness, creating conflict of authority, conflict of interest, creating density between the husband and the wife. The joining is the bond of matrimony resulting in oneness. Oneness in Christ does not mean perfection. Oneness in Christ means you are committed to Christ and trust Him for working out your problems in marriage. They do not go away. You must work them out. Scripture says the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously with. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant, Malachi 2.14. They were divorcing their wives, training them in a new models. The sexual oneness of husband and wife as they become one flesh is precious and personal. For the two, no one else. For no one else's eyes or ears, and trusting each other wholeheartedly. For no one else to partake. There is a sacredness and honorableness in the most intimate way a person can be known by their mate alone. For as often as both desire by mutual consent, not denying one another. Your body, ladies, is not yours. It's his. And gentlemen, your body's not yours. It's hers. Not by force, by consent. Ladies, if you have a headache all the time, take an aspirin. Men, you're always pouting, lighten up. It goes both ways. As often both desire by mutual consent, not denying one another. For having children, a perfect combination of the two, as I said. What a joy that is. For strengthening the bond of marriage. Malachi 2.15 says, But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Malachi 2.15. Stern warning. That's how the Old Testament finishes. Calling to repentance. One of the major areas? Marriage. So the plan of God for man in the institution of marriage 
is oneness. Second, notice the parallel teaching of oneness in marriage in verse 32. The Apostle Paul revealed the oneness of Christ and the church are used to illustrate the oneness of husband and wife. Incredible parallel. Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the wife. Verse 23. His headship is to provide, purify, and protect. His dying to self provides evidence of his love for his wife. That's Christ for the church. Look at verse 24. The church is subject to Christ, so the wife to the husband. Her subjection is seeing him as a type of Christ. Her submission is evidence of her love. In verse 25, Christ's love is for the church, so the practice of the husband to his wife. His love is selfless, sufficient, and satisfying. Never perfect. None of us are perfect. Look at 29. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. So the husband to his wife. He's the high priest of the home. He is to instruct the word to his wife and children. That doesn't mean she can't study herself. It doesn't mean the children. But he's supposed to be the spiritual high priest, the leader, right? Get some direction. He's to pray for and with his wife. Man, you ever lay hands on your wife to pray? Does she lay hands on you? You lay hands on each other and pray. He's to attend church with his family. Not send them to church, but everyone, every one of them, husband, wife, and children, be the church, not simply go to church. Notice the Apostle Paul revealed the um, oneness of husband and wife, and he calls it a mystery. The word mystery, mysterion, comes from um, the root word, which means to shut the mouth. The word was used of the mystery of religions and their secret rites in the days of the early church. This secret knowledge initiated the person into the secret cult of that religion. The mystery of the oneness in our text, is of husband and wife in marriage and is revealed to be possible only in Christ. The wife, the helper, to complete her husband by submitting to him in everything by depending on Christ personally. Verse 24. Everything as unto the Lord. Everything that's scriptural. The husband being head of the home and loving his wife by depending on Christ personally. Chapter 5, verse 25. You see, the word mystery is also used in the New Testament for the gospel of Christ. It says, not as another mystery, secret cult, but as the salvation of the Jew and Gentile that was previously hidden in the past ages in its full revelation, but now fully revealed to the saints in Christ. Paul told us in Earlier chapters. This fully revealed knowledge among the Gentiles was Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.26 and Romans 16.26. Great mystery. Personal relationship. 
Now, the mystery is a double analogy of Christ to his church and the husband to the wife. This is the parallel. The mystery of marriage is not hidden from the saint. It is fully revealed in the scriptures. We have no excuse. Are we clear on this? It's not a mystery. It's laid out for us. And I think that the reason why people don't study marriage is because then they feel like, now I'll have to do it. I don't want to know about it. Because we have a pretty good idea what it means. It means that I have to say no to me. And I don't like saying no to me. Hmm. The potential source and example is Christ. So the husband is to depend on Christ. The greater responsibility falls on the head. That is the one that cares for the body. The personal application is to be by the husband and the wife according to their divine roles and design. The possible obedience is by the new nature despite their sin nature in both of them. Not perfection for their oneness. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through 4 says that God has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness that we might escape the corruption of this world. So then God enables me to be able to be like Christ. When I fail, I'm to acknowledge, confess, ask forgiveness, and get back on track. Simple. You know, the difficulties of leaving a marriage is beautifully illustrated. Listen carefully. Dear Dave, text support request. Last year, I upgraded girlfriend 1.0 to wife 1.0. And notice that the new program began unexpected child processing. Um... That took up a lot of space and valuable resources. No mention of this phenomena was included in the product brochure. In addition, Wife 1.0 installed herself into all other programs that launched during system uh, initialization and then proceeded to monitor all other system activities. Applications such as Poker Night 10.3 and Beer Bashing 2.5 are no longer able to run. Crashing the system whenever selected. I cannot seem to purge wife 1.0 from my system. I'm thinking about going back to girlfriend 1.0, but there seems to be no uninstall options, including with wife 1.0. In fact, wife 1.0 warns of heavy financial penalties if attempt to go around the agreement. Can you help me, Jonathan Powell? Dear Jonathan, this is very a very common problem men uh, uh, complain about, but is mostly due to the primary misconception. Many people upgrade from girlfriend 1.0 to wife 1.0 with the idea that wife 1.0 is merely a utilities and entertainment program. Wife 1.0 is actually an all-powerful operating system designated by the Creator to run everything. It is impossible to uninstall, delete, purge the program from the system. Once installed, you cannot go back to Girlfriend 1.0 because Wife 1.0 is not designed to do this. Many have tried to pursue a Girlfriend 2.0 or wife 2.0, but end up with more problems than original system. I recommend you to keep wife 
and deal with current situations, look in your manual under warnings, alimony, child support. <laughs> Having Wife 1.0 installed myself, I might also suggest you read the entire section regarding general protection faults, GPFs. You must assume all responsibility for faults and problems that might occur. The best course of action is to push the apologize button immediately and then reset as soon as a, a, a lockup occurs. Systems will run much smoother as long as you take all the blame for the GPFs. Wipe 1.0 is a great program with a lot of nice features, but it comes with a very high maintenance cost. You ought to give to the generation that is hitting, right? Marriage is a mystery revealed to the believer by personal experience of oneness despite sin nature, ladies and gentlemen. The man knows firsthand that he is um, insufficient for the success of his marriage. It is Christ. The man knows his evil heart in every present situation. Also the grace of God that keeps pressing them towards the mark. The man knows by personal experience the joy and incredible privilege of loving a woman wholeheartedly and being loved the same. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. Genesis 2.23 Despite of differences and opposite personalities and often contrasting ones, but those contrasts often attract us, don't they? One of you is a Tasmanian devil behind the wheel, the other one is pokey. One of you is messy, the other Mr. and Mrs. Clean. God uses these opposite traits to conform us into the image of Christ, not into the image of each other. This takes a constant abiding in Christ by the mystery of Christ and the church. Listen to Philippians 2, 12-13. Um, Paul, having exhorted to put on the mind of Christ, after the example of Christ, said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, uh, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I must depend on Christ. The parallels are unmistakable. The church was made for Christ, so the woman, for the man. The church came out of Christ, so the woman came from the man. The church as individuals leave their father and mother, their evil lifestyle, and cleave to Christ, and so the wife cleaves to her husband. The church, regardless of her past, is exalted, honored, and privileged to share in the glory of Christ, and so the woman is honored and shares in the, her husband's glory and reputation. If a man marries a woman with a lower position in society, She's always accepted and exalted based on the man's position. But the reverse 
it's a rare exception. Even in this low day of morals. <laughs> it's just this. The church takes the name of Christ, Christians. So the woman takes the name of the man. I know there's some exceptions today, but that's not the rule. The church is the fullness of Christ, so the woman is the fullness of the man. Ephesians 1, and 23. So the parallel teaching of oneness in marriage is Christ and the church. Notice thirdly here, verse 33. The principle of mutual submission in marriage. The Apostle Paul notice declared the husband submits to his wife by loving her. The word nevertheless unfolds and expands on how to fulfill the mystery of oneness previously stated in verse 31. The husband submits to the wife by loving her. The husband by loving his wife experiences firsthand the mystery of oneness with his wife as Christ with the church. The command is to every husband to love in particular Underline this, his own wife, not somebody else's, as himself. So the command is after the sinful practice of the man loving himself and his physical body. Just go to the gym. These guys, you stand in the mirror, right? So Paul takes a negative sinful practice of the man and commands it to be done in the positive towards his wife. And he'll just blow her mind. The common sense wisdom is that his wife will respond to his initiation of loving her as Christ loves the church. He will either reap to his obedience or disobedience, though there are exceptions by a rebellious mate. The husband is to keep loving continually his wife with agape love, present active imperative command by the divine love that is sourced in Christ. So the love is agape. It's not talking about sexual love, though sexual love is included. With this agape love, the emotional love is protected, is not abused. The sexual love flourishes, okay? The key is agape love. He loves her because she submits, but not only because she submits, but because God commands it so, and he obeys. Verse 25, 38, 28, and 33. He is brought to the end of himself by dying to self and living to God through Christ. He is loving unconditionally in obedience to Christ while honoring her accountable to Scripture, but not beating her with the Scriptures. Notice the Apostle Paul declared, the wife is to respect her husband. That's the flip side. But it's really the same side. The word respect, phobia, means to fear or to be struck with amazement. The exact same word is found in verse 21 for the mutual submission of believers to each other in the fear of God. The command is in view that he is her head, a type of Christ, recognizing the high position as God has given. The common sense wisdom is that her husband will respond to her attitude and perception of him as her head as Christ the church because you're both growing developing maturing in Christ 
The wife submits not because her husband is loving her, but because God commands her so. She's brought to the end of herself by dying to self and living for God through Christ. Her submission to her own husband is as unto the Lord, as verse 22 says. Her submission is evidence that she is a daughter of Sarah, according to 1 Peter 3.6. Daughters of Eve are rebellious. Daughters of Sarah are submissive and obedient. Recognizing his God-appointed role and position. She's loving him unconditionally in obedience to Christ while holding him accountable to Scripture but not beating him with the Scriptures. Now, one of us does not do away with our difference. One night, a wife found her husband standing over their infant's crib. As she watched him looking down at the first baby, she saw him on his face um, a mixture of emotions, disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment, skepticism. Touched by this unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused, with eyes glistening, she slipped her arms around her husband. Pennies for your thoughts, she said. It's amazing, he replied. I just can't see how anybody can make a crib like this for less than forty-six fifty. We don't think alike. One's on AM, the other one's on FM. They're both radio waves. That's just the way it is, ladies and gentlemen. Oneness should be an outgrowth of my oneness with Christ Jesus, putting on the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. You know it. Jesus humbled himself to be one with us who are sinful. How much more should we do this towards each other? Emptying himself of his glory. Becoming obedient to the death of the cross. Being a servant. Wow. Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. John 13, 15. Oneness is with your own wife, not other women, gentlemen. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. So pay heed to the checks by the Holy Spirit. Do not become too familiar with other women in speech or physical touch. It is amazing what protection there is in good old common sense and God-fearing good sense. Do not think that you cannot fall. It is deceptive pride. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Oneness as God intended is possible only if you are equally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Yet, tragically, some or even many have settled for much less than God intended for them in marriage by being carnal compromising and disobedient. It's a heartbreak to see it through the years. I've been ministering for 40 years. I've seen a lot of marriages. Others agree to walk with Christ, but are dishonest, being treacherous towards their mates. The test of oneness is taking that exam every day as I trust Christ to die to myself. 
in order to bless and enjoy my wife. Galatians 2.20, crucified with Christ, nevertheless, he lives through me. If you're contemplating marriage and you see obvious red flags, do not enter marriage. Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Rhetorical question, one answer, no. You better be agreed together. That man better be a type of Christ, your head. If he's not a spiritual head before you marry him, don't marry him. If she's carnal, don't marry her. If the woman or man are, that you're dating or engaged is not walking with Jesus, don't marry him. You can always say, I do. But you cannot always say, I don't want to be married. Unless there's adultery. Gentlemen, when you say, I do, you're not taking on an angel home, but flesh and blood with a sin nature just like yours, and you will soon find it out. Marriage is the most glorious gift of God to man and woman if it is done God's way. Otherwise, it can be a living hell. When marriage is good, it's good. When it's bad, it is bad. Rejoice with the wife of your youth, Proverbs 5.18 says. That means it's possible. The principle of oneness is mutual submission in marriage. And so, Paul's command to the man to be one with his wife from these three points of reference are so helpful. The plan of God for man in the institution of marriage is oneness. The parallel teaching of oneness in marriage is Christ and his church. What a high honor he gives to marriage. The principle of oneness is mutual submission in marriage. So that the world might look to us and say, how do you guys do it? The only answer is Christ, the hope of glory. There's no other answer. If you give any other answer, you get a F in the subject of the Bible. You flunked. The answer is Christ and Christ alone. Father, thank you for your grace and love and your goodness. Thank you for tonight and for your love for us, Lord the hope we have in you. Lord, I lift up the marriages to you, and Lord, that you would just help us to be more like you, that we would be known for just loving you as much as we love our wives, and vice versa, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. Maybe you're over the internet. Maybe you've got a messed up marriage. Maybe you came and are listening and you were ready to call it quits. Then you need to go to Christ. There is nothing that God can't fix if you're willing to humble yourself. But that's what always keeps us, our pride. We want to be number one. 
We want to make sure that we have the best part of the relationship. And that's just backwards. That's just unbiblical. It's all based on my flesh, my tweaked understanding, my worldliness, and my evil heart. I must come before the cross and be broken before God. That He can work in my heart. And that can be all that He wants me to be. But it comes through Christ and Christ alone. So if you're not a believer, then you need to first get married to Christ <laughs> before your marriage is going to work. If that's you, I'm going to say this prayer right now. is your prayer of repentance. And you're going to ask Christ in your heart. He's going to forgive you and He's going to give you a new nature to be able to live out this marriage. This is your prayer to Him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.